नमस्ते द सब्जेक्ट इज योगिक अंडरस्टैंडिंग ऑफ एंगर बट फर्स्ट वी मस्ट क्लैरिफाई द टर्म योगा एज वेल एज एंगर सो वेन वी स्पीक अबाउट योगिक अंडरस्टैंडिंग एज वी नो देर आर मेनी मेनी टाइप्स ऑफ योगा ईच लीडिंग टू अ सर्टेन stage of understanding from where a perspective from where it sees human nature and uh, the way out so what we are going to speak about today is basically from shurbindo's yoga which draws from the ancient vedantic truths which have hence been forgotten so it's not something like a totally new brand of yoga it is new in its aim new in its processes new in its methods but it bases itself on certain fundamental truths which i have always been known but they have not been emphasized so this one aspect of it so uh, we can look at the entire field of human nature with all its deficiencies limitations imperfections and issues like anger greed fear lust ambition as merely uh, what is known as a field of illusion where we are trapped and somehow we have to escape so we can take it like this uh, you know one of my uh, or let's i mean i'm sure many people have experienced this when you go to the madame tussauds wax museum so i don't know why but they have a uh, you know kind of horror mail also where you um, take a ticket buy a ticket and you enter they put you on a <laughs> kind of capsule and then you have to go through that horror scenes i i have no idea why somebody would you know devise that such a lovely place otherwise we have such things even in uh, places like uh, in chennai in one of the water parks now the one way of understanding is that you have bought a ticket you are in the horror scene now this all this is an illusion actually it's an illusion actually created and which uh, creates uh, fear which creates all kinds of thing but it's purely a perception so actually there is no horror there is nothing happening but our mind is reacting just like when you watch a television uh, movie a horror movie and the mind reacts but actually is there a ghost out there is there a actual scene going on no it's just the mind perceiving certain images and responding in a certain way and the only thing to be done is to switch off the tv come out of this so a lot of yogic understanding is based on that that this entire field of human experience has no real sense now this is of course horrifying that who put us in so the only question then worth asking is who put us into this horror scene this one understanding and we are not talking about that there is another understanding where one says that well all this has been put with a purpose that you um, pass from one illusion to another and grow successively Uh, ready strong to emerge out of it because it's not easy to emerge out of it so we go through these experiences till the soul within us is ready to step out of this uh, illusory place so it goes in this sequence that first we enter and we enjoy there is you know all the material things then slowly after a while the same things which used to give us joy uh, stop giving us joy we start getting disenchanted disillusioned and then we start looking for something greater something higher but this too doesn't have really the magic power to propel us the third is that after a stage of development we realize the limitations of human life we understand that human life is what it is and as long as we live this life we will be subject to these things i mean whether we like it or not uh because something or the other will come maybe a small provocation maybe a thing like you know um, a blue tick can or an absence of blue tick can trigger <laughs> trigger <laughs> responses in human beings so many things being heard or not heard all these things can trigger responses so that um, typical way the non spiritual way is that within this you try to do what you can so people speak about anger management as to you know what are the triggers you check the triggers you work upon them and you start you know a deep breathing count 1 to 20 all that is one kind of understanding why because it's an based on the understanding like any other impulse so all impulses have this tendency that they will rise like this if you can hold on they will start winning off but during that point depending upon our threshold we given and when we given then there is a cascade of events and that we have for instance with regard to anger we have beautifully uh, the gita tells us that you know krodhat bhavati samoha 
anger deludes us. Now, when this delusion is there, so what happens when there is delusion? I forget myself. I mean, the person forgets one's true self. One falls into a little hole, into a little dungeon. And then what happens when there is a total forgetfulness of self? Then there is a nash. There is, you know, everything can be destroyed. Anger is like that. It's, it can be, I know of people whose lives have been destroyed because of anger. So it plays an important role in human life. And it can lead to a cascade of events. So one of the simple advices is that don't express. It's true of any impulse that if you keep expressing, there was a time when, you know, this became fashionable in psychology. No, you must express yourself. So then the expression became more like, you know, in certain places you have a board where you express your anger or you have a pillow in which you express your anger. The point is that when you do that, you have not really cured the malady. You are on one side Yes, you have released a force. So to that extent, you feel relieved. Somebody has to be there on whom you have to you know, express, whoever be the person. But the problem is that your nature then responds more and more in that direction. So even if the pillow helps you for a moment, you have really cured nothing. You know, there is a very interesting story. It's a little humorous story, true story in the ashram context that... Well, uh, one of the grown-up girls, uh, she became, uh, when she was elderly, she was narrating this story, how naughty they were. So, uh, there was a teacher, very nice teacher, decent teacher, and they went and took a bucket with full of trash and uh, ringa ringa roses, and he was all absorbed down below, and they emptied the trash on his head. So, so he looked up, and he saw these two girls. What does he do? So, he... He slapped the boy in front of him or near him. So the boy said, why did you slap me? He said, do you expect me to slap a woman, a girl? Now <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's called redirecting the energy. And this is so common in psychology. We use the word displacement. So a lot of issues are like that. We just displace the anger. Now the problem of displacement is it never goes. So it will come back. So now every time we express an impulse, it will keep on coming back. We have actually created a groove. We have not really channelized it. We have only displaced it. There is a difference between channelizing and displacement. And every time we express an impulse, be it anger, be it fear, be it lust, be it any, any kind of greed. So it comes back mechanically. You see, with food, it's very common. People observe this about food that... Um, one way is that you eat a little more because it's tasty. Now you'll see that your appetite keeps going up and up and up. The other way is that, you know, uh, eat a little less, even though you're hungry. Then you'll see your appetite starts going down. It's uh, something similar. So all this is within the realm of what we can do to uh, manage anger. And it also derives itself from a kind of yogic understanding of life. And the understanding here is this, that all these impulses for anger... Uh, fear and all this, they are an instinctive reaction. They are embedded in the biological roots of a nature, deep below in the lower vital nature. And that's why it's so difficult to root them out. So uh, when we understand that every time I express, it's going to become worse and worse. So I um, wait till the impulse passes over. And during that time, we can do certain things. We can talk about that later. So when it passes over like a little wave, then I'm a little more free. The second is that uh, displace it now displacement means basically that when we direct it right to the person then there will be a reaction supposing I am angry with um, a friend so I express the anger so what happens the person hits back and then I hit back and he hits back and then it snowballs into something much greater so instead of that pillow will not hit back or uh, nowadays we have pillow ancient time people have God so you know direct all your anger to God like that film no Divar ki you must be very happy it's a crazy idea of you know God and poor fellow he has no clue he can't even express his point of view we just go and blurt out and come back so all these are basically cushions and ways within which we manage anger but this is not what we um, you know it's not enough there is another level at which we can work and we'll go one step by step the second level is anger is a kind of force which creates a lot of disorder and disturbance you know, just the voice even spoken words which are spoken in anger they are tremendous in their impact and not only they can create disturbance and disorder sometimes they can even change life sometimes even for good a casual passing phrase can change your life like 
in the story of Kalidas or in the story of Tulsi Das where his wife got very angry. Why? Because the man, uh, river is in spate, he wants to meet her and climbs through a rope, uh, through a snake thinking it's a rope. Whatever the story, merits of the story is, uh, maybe a little exaggeration which snake will allow you to climb up but <laughs> it doesn't matter. Now, normally... Somebody would be very happy that here is a man who loves her like this. But she has got up from her sleep and sees and she is worried about, you know, what people will think. So she says, so much madly you are in love with me. You should have loved God like this. You would have found him. And Tulsi Das is so much uh, hurt. Now you see what happens sometimes. The same energy. This energy which um, had got pent up. It was all combining for a kind of union with his beloved. Is suddenly... Smash. So what happens to this energy? Now in him, instinctively something happened. That energy could have turned inside and led to depression. This is what happens in people. Depression and anger are simply the same energy. Turned outwards, it becomes anger. Turned inwards, it becomes depression. So what happens with depression? You are angry with yourself. You feel that you are bad, you are horrible, you are rejected. So you are the person, even though somebody else's fault, but you are blaming yourself. Then self-blame, worthlessness, guilt, and eventually, let me punish myself. So extreme act, which is an extremely violent act. I mean, the most violent act one can ever imagine is to kill oneself. Because even when you are killing somebody, let's say, there are real things like military and all that. But even when somebody in a self-defense is killing someone, it is violent. But this killing yourself is the most violent because you are actually inflicting tremendous pain on yourself, which is completely against all rules of nature. Nature doesn't program us like that. So it's, it's something can be so um, distorted. So this, but this dis- depression can lead into that. But what Tulsi Das did, he took another route, which um, is the best route. And the route is that energy is there. What was that energy in its origin? It was a deep longing. Anger was a reaction. So what he does, he says, yes, he's right. I'm longing for her so, so much. If only I could long for... So he took that statement coming from her as something like a word of God. And at that point of time, there is the birth of... Tulsidas, you know, he started turning all this towards the divine and, you know, his life changed. So this is one approach which we can take spiritually. This is not transformation, but we'll talk about first. Let us just take an overview of all that we can do. The second is that we have to understand that a lot of our um, responses depend on the state of consciousness. So we have noticed, no, when you go to a market, you go just giving company to a friend. Why? Because the friend wants you to come along. I don't know why a friend would want you to come along to the market and you would agree to be dragged. So when you go to market, you have not uh, neither kept money in the pocket nor you want to. <laughs> no, no personal. <laughs> a lot of people seem to <laughs> respond to that. But anyway, so the thing is that you go to market and um, you have not thought about buying anything. Isn't it? So when your friend buys something, so what is your impulse? You start seeing things. And then you want to buy something. And the story doesn't end there. When you bought something, you want it to be appreciated, naturally. So now you see, you are in a beautiful state. That's why in the ashram, certain kind of rules were made with this purpose. Not as a rigid religious rule or dogmas which people misunderstood. The thing was that most people are not sophisticated enough to understand these nitty-gritties. So she made a very simple rule that don't go around in the crowd and mix because if you enter into the crowd, the vibration may be so overpowering that even if you have been in a fine state, you will come down. And this is known in yoga as the law of vital interchange. And it's also called in another way in uh, traditional yoga that satsang and dusang. There is a very nice story of uh, a pad of uh, Shabad of Guru Nanak where he says, you want to find the self, you want to be free. So what you have to do? So he says very beautifully, astuti ninda dau tyagi or mana apamana jo then sambhav so khojet ab nirvana. And there he says something very beautiful. Um, that shanda company tase kaam krodh sangati durjan ki tase nisidin bhago 
So, where is karma growth coming from? One of the thing is from the world around us. So, we have to be so conscious of this play of forces. We live so ignorantly. See, when we grow up, what are we taught? We are taught two things. One is, and that two things turns out to be one thing. What is that one thing? Manage your life successfully. So, what you are taught? You are taught in profession, whatever is needed for your profession. Whether it be computers, whether it be medicine or what, whatever skill development. Second thing you are taught is that apart from work, you will be at home. So you must know how to manage your life. Manage your life means all the practical things. But we are never taught that life is not only about it. There are many, we are caught, as Shubhinda says, in an ambiguous net. And nobody teaches us about this play of forces and how we are taught, how we live. And you know, people just go about living so unconsciously. It can be very frightening. You know, so... This knowledge that yoga provides us is about the larger field, context, matrix in which we are living. In Corona time, for instance, the mother says, if you are afraid, you will catch a disease. Now people don't believe it. Why? Because no, 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 it's a virus. It goes through physical contagion. But she, she says, the psychological contagion is much worse. Why? Because it's unseen. You don't even see it. Physical contagion is, oh yes, Corona is wearing a mask. But, the psychological contagion comes in a different way. He is wearing a mask and you believe the mask to be the real person. The person comes and gives you a nice smile and says, How are you sir? And you are sold out. He has given you a cap. And then he takes out his uh, barber's ustra and you very happily give your head to be made you know, into a bald man because this is how the world operates. And we don't understand. Much later we come to know and we get angry. Now this is where we have to understand that there is something known as vital interchange and it's very very real. And if anybody who wants to take up yoga must understand that if we keep a certain kind of company, we are bound to get affected by things. It's not about blaming anybody. For another person, this is the way of life. For somebody else, you know, picnicking, going, enjoying life is a way of life and fair enough, there is nothing right or wrong. But if you want life to become better, to become beautiful, free of anger, for example. One can't say that I sit and meditate and, you know, offer to mother, but then I go to a casino and I play and, you know, it's bound to get affected. Somebody would say that, you know, you are going in a place, even televisions, they can project a lot of anger and this anger can come. So everything, we have to be so conscious if we really want to get rid of it. If we don't want to get rid of it, then it's a perfectly fine thing. Then everything is fine. The people who justify anger saying that, well, this is uh, me. If this is me, then there is no question of self-realization because the self is not this me. And they live in that state and they justify it. So one of the first things that one learns when one takes to yoga is that don't justify a tendency which you don't want. The mind has an automatic habit of justifying everything. And it's not only in front of others. That is to an extent understandable. Your ego doesn't want to admit that I could be wrong. But even to oneself, one tells lies to oneself. And when you tell a lie again and again, you start believing it as true. So always somebody else is to be blamed. So if somebody else is to be blamed, one never has freedom. If you want freedom and autonomy, take charge of your life. Even if somebody has provoked you to an extent, any extent, don't say he provokes me so I get angry. Say that I don't have sufficient self-control, self-mastery, self-discipline over myself or I don't know how to manage the anger that rises within me. Then one has taken one step further. So what is that one step further that one can do? In yoga, in Raj Yoga especially, there is a very uh, good method. It's not uh, Gandhian non-violence. Gandhian non-violence is horrible because outwardly you are not uh, showing anger but inwardly you are nurturing it. So when it is said that not to express, it also means that you have to understand the inner boiling going on and do something about it. But if outwardly we just hold it and keep everything inside, then it can take all kinds of distorted channels, which, you know, becomes, uh, uh, there are people who have issues with their partners and they show it on their child, which is, of course, a very dangerous thing. Not a good thing, because the child doesn't know. So what is to be done in this case? So in yoga, there is a technique called as substitution. So substitution means, okay, you will, I don't want to be angry. And one has often noticed that when anger is released for some time, you are, uh, you know, empty. People call it peace, unfortunately. It's not peaceful. So people release their anger and they say, now I am okay. 
So people learn to this kind of behavior. Oh, oh, during anger, you leave him or her, whatever it be. And after some time, now you are okay. It's not okay. It's just that because an energy has been thrown, it will hold its course. The person temporarily is fine. But because that empty space has not been filled, by habit, the same energy will come back. Because it's tuned into that. So what is to be done? That's the tuning right now. Fill this gap with something which is just the opposite. So what is the opposite, let us say, of fear? It is faith. What is the opposite of lust? It is love. What is opposite means the origin. What is the opposite of ambition? Service, divine service. It's very interesting, you know, ambition can get resolved like this. And what is the opposite of anger? What is the force that should substitute anger? Is peace, quiet, calm, peace, equanimity. That's what we see in the story of Shiva. But with a difference. Shiva is known as Shantam. Whenever you think of a being who is peaceful, you think of Shiva. But whenever you think of a being who is powerful in his, not anger is the wrong word there, but who can destroy entire world, you think of Shiva. Isn't it very strange and interesting? <laughs> so, we take it to the next level. One is, of course, bring peace into the system. The more peace comes and settles, automatic it will become a habit. Then all these tendencies will slowly become weaker and weaker. It won't go in one day. One has to persist. So every day one sits, calls peace, 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 calm, peace, equanimity, till peace becomes a friend. Then when anger comes and goes away, peace says, well, I am coming. You don't have to, you know, even call, but it has to be practiced. You can't do it when somebody is angry. Similarly, there is another very interesting um, power which can completely annul anger. And that is the power of humor. Laugh at yourself. Don't laugh at somebody. Huh? Humor doesn't mean that. Huh? If somebody is angry, don't say, hey, you are looking nice in anger. Maybe it may work. I don't know, it may work, but it may fall back very badly. <laughs> but when you laugh at yourself, see, I am making a fool of myself by being angry. Isn't it? And we are angry. Just take your picture oneself. Ask somebody to, sometimes I recommend this, that take a picture when so and so is very angry. And take a picture when somebody is quiet. And put the two pictures hand over and say, which one you would like to be? The face changes. Have you seen when people are angry? When people tell lies, face changes. If you look at, at people's eyes, you will know that a lie is going on. Angry, it becomes completely twisted and distorted. Then one has to you know, start all this facial and all this. Some faces become very hard, no? Instead of being soft. Human form reflects something which goes on inside. You see, that's why the word is battle-hardened. See people who fight battle, the whole body becomes hard. Because they have, the consciousness has an impact on the form. But if you are soft-natured inside, it will start reflecting on the form. So one more reason why one should get rid of all these things. Beauty tips. So, call for peace, call for harmony, then slowly we'll see that this will keep increasing, the other one will keep decreasing. But this is not transformation, this is trans-substitution. There is another thing which one can do is sublimation. The energy of anger has to be sub. It's a very aggressive energy. So, what it wants? It wants to hit hard. So, one of the best ways to sublimate this energy is Play a game, sports, in ashram when sports started. All this has a yogic truth behind it. It may have been picked up now in conventional psychology. Some of these things have been picked up. But their roots are yoga. The people who brought them there, I am aware that they learned something about yoga and they made it appear that there is something new about psychology. But actually, the, its roots are yogic. You see, many games uh, in, in ancient days, even lamas, they, were, they used to play ping pong. And the whole game was to teach certain things. So when in the ashram, games and sports started, people asked Sri Aurobindo, that why you want to have games in a place like an ashram? Ashram is supposed to sit and meditate. You will see it. Many ashrams you will go, they have a place for meditation, one place for kirtan, and one place for bhandara where you get food. Haven't you seen? 
not even art and culture leave aside games what kind of ashram that you have games and sports now the truth behind it is when shirobindo was asked he said well sports does many things in you know it trains our human psychology to prepares it for yoga many things that the demand is in yoga for instance equanimity how do you cultivate equanimity one way is that the the inner way meditate bring calm deal with world have the right attitude and another way is when you play sports so what do you learn when you play sports you can never be hitting a century every time okay so it brings humility you also learn that sometimes you are going to win the game sometimes you are not going to win it's okay it's part of life life is about that then you also learn that even when you have lost to somebody he is still your friend isn't it we do that no after sports very naturally after the fight is over or whatever the match is over what do they do even now they go and shake hands it's not like you i will see you next time that's what is called a sportsman spirit you don't give up you don't feel frustrated you say okay there is always another time next time i'll come during that time you prepare yourself so many things automatically we learn through the process of sports and it has a yogic basis and that's why sport should be really mandatory for its, for children many of these um, taekwondo judo karate judo is a completely spiritual um, martial arts even karate is coming from there it's absolutely it's spiritual its principle is spiritual it starts from certain fundamentals about spiritual way of looking at life so all this must be part of the development of children unfortunately uh, we grew up without knowing all this we somehow played because we loved playing and parents were not very happy about it so i hope parents nowadays are more open and they allow children to play please let the children play and you also play don't become a you know all all top heavy, heavy person so all these qualities which uh, naturally you know anger gets transubstituted and takes a different form military surgeon these are ways by which anger can be uh, sublimated into a meaningful activity but none of this is transformation so what really is transformation then transformation takes its stand on the truth that shri krishna reveals that the roots of creation are up and not below what are the roots ashwath tree we think that creation is emerging from the inconscient and therefore we feel very naturally in sync with it and we don't think anything amiss about it and then we end up saying this is creation so the only thing i can do is to exit from here but if the roots of creation are upward you see the significance of what shri krishna has said it goes far beyond this statement means that every tendency however small however distorted however even perverted misrepresented owes its origin to something above now this means the truth that shurbindo says in sabitri each part in us desires the absolute and even the most little activity has there is room for greatest need so even the smallest sphere of activity detail of life can be transformed see this was the effort in indian civilization many people don't understand they think indian civilization is about a way of life means outer culture no outer culture is derived from spiritual truths you can't just talk about culture without connecting to the spiritual truths so what was the effort in entire thing about indian society the way it was organized see in the western context the spiritual roots were lost they were there but they were lost so society developed randomly you know many of the places like people went they were aggressors they killed the natives they started civilization europe is different it has very rich roots but then a wave came uh, scientific wave religion inquisition all that so it lost contact with the spirit but if you go to the two extremes america and uh, down under so you'll see the origin was very strange so the culture that developed was actually no culture because it had no roots it became a set of behaviors now culture is different from behavior behind culture there are roots spiritual roots so when people sit before food and pray what is it is it a habit 
No, there is a truth behind it that this food is not just come to me to eat and satisfy my palate, but it has been given by the divine. And basically, if you look at Indian roots, everything is connected to the divine and everything is connected to how I can uplift myself, how I can make my life more beautiful, more true, more good. Everything without a, uh, I mean, right from birth, as Shobindo puts it, birth is a sacred dosi. Uh, education is sacred dosi. Everything in life, from birth, conception onwards, till your last journey, even after that, everything is a sacred dosi. It's it's something which is like um, sacred. The sense of the sacred which was imbued in every activity, even in anger, you couldn't express just anger the way now. You know, people uh, go to even some of these. It's well known. Urdu ki juban ki jo najakat hai, you know. So when people get angry in a place like Lucknow, how do they get angry? You know that. No, no, you express your anger first. Pehle aap. Nee, nee, aap pehle boliye. Hum phir tanj kasenge. You know, you first express anger, then I will express. So by the time. But the same thing exists in Indian culture also. For instance, you are not supposed to, angry, uh, uh, you know, use certain words. I, I remember as a child, one of the first things that uh, we just grew up with it. that Never abuse anyone. You may sometimes get angry. Never use an abusive word. And the only once in my life, I remember in, uh, without knowing its meaning, something very innocuous. I can't even say it's an abusive word. But having used it, I felt such a heaviness on my heart. And I decided never ever in my life I'll use such language. But this is how, so language, language is a beautiful way to just uh, master certain things. Uh, imagine, you know, you say, मुझे बहुत गुस्सा आ रहा है। I am getting angry। अदर इससे देखिए हमारे अंदर क्रोध का उफान आ रहा है। <laughs> see it politically, see the difference, and you will see that language. That's why Sanskrit, one of the ways to really overcome many of these things. So it is something which should be inbuilt within society. But to come back to our original thing, that in Indian society there was an attempt. That in everything, it's not an illusion. In everything, we must bring in a higher truth. Why? Because at the roots, there is higher truth. But this got lost over a period of time. Yet, it is there in Indian mythology. If you read it one way, you understand it. If you read it another way, you don't understand. So, there are people who often ask and have even commented. Oh, it is so violent. When Shiva dances, the entire world goes destroyed. Look at Gali. Some people can't see her image. We identify with her, no? But to somebody who is uh, cannot understand destruction, he sees Kali's image, it can be frightening that she is the world mother and we say she is the world mother. So what is she doing? She is destroying. But an Indian instinctively understands that she has the heart of a mother. So when you go to Kali, you don't feel fear. You feel the joy of doing pranam to her. Why? Because she is slaying the asura, she is slaying the demon. So this power in its origin is the power to destroy all that is dark, false, ugly, evil, untrue. This is one part. So it is called as Rudra. Shiva's this aspect is Rudra. So what does Rudra do? He destroys everything whose time has come. Like Daksh Prajapati. So if a law which whose time has come, which has outlived its purpose. We see today children becoming restless to get rid of it. And we say they are angry. They are not angry. You are not able to understand them. Because this time, Rudra is dancing on top of their heads. Kali is dancing literally saying, don't accept this nonsense. Don't accept this falsehood. Now, the channel is not ready. So, it misinterprets and it releases itself as anger. But if we understand that behind anger there is this Rudra force. Now Rudra energies are divine in their origin. But why it gets distorted? What the lower nature does? Now here comes something interesting that man is a higher nature which is the nature of the gods. This is what yoga says. At least Swami Vivekananda and Shurabindo have spoken about it without any... In fact the famous world parliament address where one of the truths he says is that I am so proud and happy to come from a civilization which says that man is not a fallen being. You know the context. And so he says that 
Man has a divine nature. So what happens to this divine nature? Same in many Upanishads that, you know, the God-centered, I'm not going into that detail, paucity of time. But basically, as this divine nature enters, now it cannot be born by the form. So what lower nature does, we'll come to man just a little later. It takes that power, gives to an animal and the lower creation only that much which is needed for its purpose. So in animals, we don't use the word anger. We use the word rage. And this rage is given for self-defense. You will rarely see a cobra coming out of the way to spot you and attack you. You enter its territory, it will warn you sufficiently. Even a lion will not do it. I mean, it, it's rare, exceptional. It will stay in its place. You enter, a, they have a domain which is marked by the smell. So if they see you but don't smell you, then they know that this is not worth. He has not entered my territory. But the moment they can smell you, the animal feels danger and it responds to danger. So it's given at the animal level with a purpose. Same with what we call as lust. The sexual energy, it's given in animals to perpetuate a certain kind of life. And if you want to remain animal, it's all within the ambit. But this is not its origin and this is not its destiny. The problem comes when you want to do something about this energy, not just leave the field and go away, but to transform it. Then one needs to understand what is its origin. So angry anger is, was originally an impulse of self-preservation. Animals have it just to preserve their self. But what is the self in an animal is only the bodily self. You stand little away and tell a dog you are just a dog. He doesn't know. He is wagging the tail. He doesn't even realize that you demean him. He probably thinks that you are calling me God. But if you throw vibrations of anger and even if you say you are a God, you will get affected because you are throwing vibrations. So otherwise they don't react like that. So these vibrations enter his skin, they touch and you know his body reacts like that. What happens in human beings? In human beings we have not one self. That becomes complicated. We all carry the burden of images. You hit a person physically, that is one kind of uh, response. You hit a person psychologically. So... Destroying somebody's self-image in human beings is regarded as as bad as killing him. Remember the Rajasu Yagya where, um, who was it, that story where, you know, Duryodhana is very angry that, you know, Yudhishthira said this or something like that. And then Sri Krishna intervenes, he says, you don't need to fight and kill, it is enough if you have humiliated him. That's enough because for a person of a noble nature, humiliation is worse than killing why? Because it's an image you have created. You are a person who is respected. Now when that image is broken, it is anger comes out. It's because in human beings, images. So depending on your image, your responses will be there. So some people have an image like, you know, how I am dressing. So if you just tell them, I'm not looking okay, now you see the whole day is gone. <laughs> there are other people you say that, you know, I remember once, you know, Someone looked and said, Doctor, some comment on the shoes. I said, yeah, I know, but why do you look at my shoe? Look at my head, no? <laughs> I'm not wearing my shoes so that you can look at them. So that's because my image is not, I don't identify myself with the dress I wear or the face or somebody appreciates. If somebody says you're looking very smart, then I'll get, you know, what's wrong with the person? <laughs> So it depends, but some people create a vital image and they want to preserve it. And then it gets hit and they want to preserve it at all cost. They will make cards and can be very angry. You see, even military, you tell a military person, par guest house, some ex-army person and he started saying in 71 war and somebody busy. He said, please stop, you know, saying all this, stay quiet, I'm working. So the person started, you know, Angry, how can you say, you know who I am? Now this who I am, that's where the fallacy, this fallacy. So he told me about it. As you see, you got your first lesson. Discard these false identities. As long as you carry these false images, you will be hurt. And when you are hurt, you will either react with anger or you will react with depression.
So, images in human beings. To this image, the mind adds something worse. You said in a moment something. The mind holds to it. Ah, my day will come. After hundred days, you have forgotten. <laughs> you remember what you said hundred days back? <laughs> I don't remember yesterday. <laughs> now you see, mind starts playing game. Then it projects into the future. Labels, categorizes. So with human beings, this power of, then it goes into fear. So what is it afraid of? If this person continues to, or a group like ISIS and all this, if this group survives and they become strong, my identity is in danger. You, you have seen how ISIS people, they keep playing the martyr. Even yesterday, there was a very interesting news. In Pakistan, a Hindu temple is destroyed. You know how the news is covering it? Angry mob destroys the temple. Why, why you are you angry in Pakistan about a temple? So you see this tendency to justify, this tendency to, uh, you know, there is a whole set of people who will justify it by saying, but they are the victims. What is called nowadays is the victim card. So what is a victim? You believe you are a victim. Nobody may have done anything to you or something may have happened. So you start living with this idea you are a victim. So now you are living with constant fear and suspicion. So what do you do? To eliminate your fear and suspicion, immediately eliminate the person from you whom you feel threatened. Whether the person threatens you or not, just eliminate. So it goes on to this kind of ideology where either you convert the person to your belief system or you kill and destroy. It's the same psychology of the snake. It may use religious term but it's a snake which is wearing a kechul, nice, good looking kechul. Because it's fear and suspicion leading to rage. So what is in animals, something which is given to animal for its own defense and even in human beings, there is something called as a justified self-defense in which both Buddha and everybody have agreed. Sri wrote about justified self-defense. Buddha wrote about it. Sri Ramakrishna narrated in a very nice way that one sadhu came and there was a snake who used to you know, bite and people were very scared. They couldn't go the road. So they ask the sadhu to help. So sadhu goes and tells this snake because he could communicate. Why are you doing this? What? I am just, you know, I feel scared. These boys go, no, no, they will not do any harm to you. Don't bite them. You know, if you bite, what will happen to you? All this, whatever sadhu's way. So snake uh, was receptive. He heard it. He said, okay. After one year, the sadhu came and saw the snake bleeding, lying in the bush. He said, what happened to you? He said, you told me not to bite. So... Now they are not scared of me. So all the children are throwing stones. See, because of listening to your teaching, this is my state. This is a story told by Sri Ramakrishna. And so, the sadhu tells him, you didn't listen to me carefully. What? What is it? I told, don't bite. Did I say, don't raise your uh, hood and hiss? You could have hissed. Don't bite. That is enough. So there is the only justification of anger within the human range is justified self-defense where it is an energy and if you learn to use it, it can serve a purpose. But there is still further destiny of anger is to transmute it into its divine element where you don't use for any personal purposes but you use it for higher purposes. You see, like Durga when the mother directed that energy against Hitler, Shurbindo, Rudra forces into play. So that is how the transmutation will take place where anger which in its origin is Rudra force reclaims itself in the human system. And then under the divine direction just like Arjuna in a state of Samta in a state of not no more anymore for me and mine but for the sake of the divine will at one place Shurabindu says that he who wouldn't slay when the divine bids him does to the world an incalculable harm but then he puts the other clause also that's why it's you know sometimes when you misquote he says he first be sure of God's command in you then slay <laughs> you know <laughs> so you have to be careful now when is God's command heard when you are quiet and peace and in a state of equanimity so the problem with these Rudra forces is some people receive it and because their nature is not ready, it takes uh, these channels. 
Sometimes vice is an excessive energy flowing into wrong channels. So it is flowing into these channels. Same thing with lust. Energy, which is something very beautiful, divine. But as it enters into the little system of the human ego, it gets distorted. Uh, those who want to understand in detail, I am sure people have read the triple soul forces. The same energy, light, love, strength, wisdom, all this, the moment it enters into the human little channel, little ego, it usurps it and changes it into something distorted. So the, the basis is for us to get free of the ego. As long as ego is there, don't try all this. As long as ego is there, first thing is to practice equanimity, quietude, peace, all these other things which we have spoken about, sports, sublimation, trans-substitution. Don't look at it word, this word. I don't know whether the meaning exists or not, but this is what it means. Then when there is an equanimity basis established in the system and the ego is no more active like that, when it is no more that for my sake I will get angry, all forms of ego, including national ego. You see, because images, my opinions, how dare you touch my opinion and I get angry. So these are images. When we have got rid of them, systematically we should work. And the way to get rid of it is the same thing. Offer it to mother. Know that I am nothing. The divine is everything. Then slowly this I, I, I goes and the divine alone remains. Then we will see that every time still out of habit nature's channel will respond in a certain way. Then when you offer it, even otherwise one should offer it. But then when you offer it, slowly it changes into that higher energy, higher form. But Rudra forces will not come if Samyata and peace is not established. Because it will upset the whole system. Shrabindra speaks about it in the synthesis of yoga. You see, Lord Vishnu's four hands. What is there? On the right hand there is Gada and Padma. Isn't it? Or Abhehast. And the other hand, there is the conch shell. Now you see that there is a balancing. When you have the mace in one hand, powerful mace is a symbol of tremendous power. Yes, please check and uh, let me know <laughs> what are the four things. Bhujangashayanam, Karunavataram, anyways, so <laughs> somebody. The point is that it should be balanced. The Sudarshan Chakra must be balanced with the float. If you don't have Samyata and you only start expressing the Rudra forces, especially with the ego becoming very gigantic and you say, you know, this is Rudra energy flowing into me, then you are basically becoming an Asura. You will still be a favorite of Shiva because Shiva understands it's my energy. That's why you will see all the Asuras going to Shiva and Shiva blesses them because the same energy which he knows that I am the origin so he takes the asuras into his fold, makes them surrender and blesses them with his benevolence. Same thing with, yes? Conch shell. Conch shell. And uh, Gada. Ah, Gada. Abhay. Abhay. So the same who gives, who can destroy also gives Abhayam. This is there in the Upanishads. So basically the transformation is about that, that this energy, if the ego holds it, it can be catastrophic. That's why in synthesis of yoga, Shubhinda says that a time comes when, you know, even to say, I am an instrument of God, let others believe whatever they want to believe. Know that, Tomar karma, tumi karma, loke bole kariyami, because what will happen is, that the titans will start using this little point. Oh, you are an instrument. Without you, life cannot be. Then you will want to stick to something. Even in divine work, there should be disinterestedness. If tomorrow you are asked to go, you walk. Why tomorrow? Next moment, like Lord Rama. A whole kingdom given and walk away, walk, walks away. So these two have to be combined, not this extreme or that extreme. That's why Lord Rama is so full of peace. Even when he is destroying uh, the, the ilk of Ravana and the entire company, uh, he is full of that peace, benevolence, compassion. Why is he like that? Because he is no more for any personal fight. He is destroying there, you know, a very interesting story. When he is asked that, why are you destroying the Rakshasas in the jungles? He said, I am, you are the king. He said, 
I am not the king. I am the servant of Bharat. I am representing Ayodhya. And for the sake of Dharma, I am destroying. Now this standpoint has to shift from the limited egoistic standpoint to Dharma, which is, of course, I am not going into it. It's a very vast subject. And if not that, like it's the duty of the Kshatriya to slay. It is a Swadharma, not even duty. And if a Kshatriya doesn't slay, saying, no, 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 this anger. When you have a war, these things will come. But it is bound in Dharma to do that. So second is Dharma. Instead of egoistic thing. But Kshatriya will never fight because somebody, you know, tells him and he will not take a sword out and say, that is called mafia. When you know, somebody says something and you carry a pistol in your, that is uh, the Rakshasa. But the Kshatriya will always fight to protect the right, to protect the weak, to protect the oppressed. He will not fight just because somebody mocks at him and he will say, okay, okay, he will laugh. You don't know. That's it. Sign of strength. That's why the mother says, anger violence and anger they originate in a weak vital if the vital is weak this energy enters it cannot contain it it spills in this way so if somebody is angry but don't tell him huh, you are a weak vital you say I will show you <laughs> my, my vital versus your vital but if you are a yogin I can tell you this that you don't even have to fight with hands your look will be enough to stop him the calm of Buddha. You see this story about images when somebody went to Buddha and he was so angry, spiteful, spat and came away. And Buddha is smiling. Next day he comes, he felt very bad. Why? Because then when you don't react. So if you remain immobile, you will cut all these energies. You'll just go back to the person. So it went back to him and that started haunting him. If you react, then he will be justified. See? But I am talking of the yogic way, not Gandhian way. Gandhian way is most unyogic and unhealthy. Not elaborating on it. So he goes back then because Buddha is truly immobile. Buddha's immobility is not a mental rule. Outwardly I will not react but inside he is thinking I am going to overthrow this fellow. So he goes back and it's a compassion born of benevolence and understanding. So he comes back. Next day he says I am sorry. He says what? He says I did this to you. He said what did you do? I got angry and all that. He says, but you are not the same person. Because he has changed. So when we live life with that state of benevolence, compassion, understanding, vastness, that people can make mistakes. It's okay. People can get angry. Don't take it to heart and start reacting. So become vast. Be full of peace. Be full of the joy of the divine. Lot of anger is because desires are not satisfied. But know that desires are meant not to be satisfied. <laughs> Or to be satisfied only temporarily. And each satisfied desire will expand the whole. Unfortunately. So when you know this, you say, well, this is the truth. So you turn this energy of desire towards the divine. I desire the divine. Doesn't matter. Don't go into semantics, aspiration, desire, all this. We are not philosophic. We are class, psychology. Turn this desire towards the divine. You alone can fulfill all my needs. He is the giver of needs. By that, slowly he will come in contact. If you need someone, he will provide that someone also. But know that you are just a trustee, that someone is just a trust, not owning, possessing, desire. All this creates all these reactions. So bring peace. As much as possible, stay away from this toxic toxin called desire, which is very sweet to taste. When it hits back, it's like a heady wine. So stay away. Ego, at least have a, you know, it's difficult to get rid of ego easily. It takes time. At least have a sattvic ego. That, you know, it's not that anywhere and everywhere I'll start on the road and start barking. Even dogs are better trained. So think that, you know, what am I doing? I am like a snake. Thoda paompe galti se, you know, somebody steps over the toe and you react. If that is the case, then I am just being like a snake. That's all. Snakes do that. No? When you step on the tail, they bite you. So when we start looking at ourselves, then everybody wants to have a good self-image. So the best image, if at all, is the divine image. We are sons of God and must be even as He. His human portion, we must grow divine. 
Our life is a paradox with God for key. So every time all this comes, keep offering to the divine. Keep offering to the divine, but with an aspiration that may change. May this nature change. May myself shift from the ego mode to the psychic being. If we pray persistently and have the patience, a lot of anger comes because of impatience, haste. That pray and wait, then you will slowly see that the divine energies will start touching us. Different points. Sometimes they will bring out, as Shurabindu describes in Tales of Prison Life. Sometimes because of the pressure of yoga, certain things which we had held inside, they will come out. Keep offering. The method is the same. Meanwhile, do some self-enabling sadhana, lot of exercise, sit for meditation, call for quietude and peace, grow in equanimity. It's a whole program. You can't just talk of anger management as counting 1 to 20. The spiritual way is a package. To close this little uh, experience of the mother, she says, you know, people try to work on one point, touching one, oh, I get this, I get that problem. She says, don't do like this. Change the chadar. Change the cover. Otherwise, you'll keep doing patchwork. And you know what happens with patchworks. Patchwork means life will, there is a patch in front. Initially, you don't show it. You hide it inside. But as you grow more and more older, the patch begins to show up. And it begins to look ugly because there are too many patches. So if you have to do a patchwork, patch yourself with the divine. And he'll do the perfect, not rafu. He will give you a new dress, a dress which is worthy of our soul. The divine nature which we should bear, wear. And not this fallen human nature which we presently wear as a dress and feel very happy about it. This transfiguration is earth's due to heaven. A mutual debt binds man to the supreme. His nature we must put on as he put ours. His image. What has the divine done? His image in the human measure cast so that we can arise to his image. His human portion. We must grow divine. Not just divine in the soul but in nature. Our life is a paradox with God for key. Thank you. Yes, please. Image, image, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, wonderful uh, question you have uh, asked, uh, uh, Shiram Bhai. Uh, two aspects I would suggest. One is that, absolutely right, most of the quarrels are all because of very, very small things. So the phrase, storm in a teacup is literally true. After some time, people even don't know why they are fighting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I use, I, today only I was discussing as a joke, of course, that if somebody asks me a question, I have a bad habit of replying, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. So I said, afterwards, if some somebody has not asked me, but if they ask me, sir, by the way, answer is very nice, but what was my question? <laughs> What was my question? <laughs> I have forgotten. So I don't want to do this mistake. But very briefly, yes. All, it's because we have entered into a superficial mode of living. That's one part. That if I live my life superficially, if I value things which are small, little, then I will be caught in that zone. As I was talking about, the zone in which such forces of disorder are very active. But at the same time, certainly one has to teach the child. So the way to do is, Appeal to the, as mother says, appeal to the beautiful part in the child. And this can be done in two ways. One is the highest that man has as of now is reason. And before, of course, after 10, 11 years, you can appeal to the reason. Because then reason is developing. But even as a child, but according to the childlike reason. Child won't understand. Don't say that, you know, if you do this, see, I am, uh, what, what will I have to, I have to pay money. Not all, not all that things. You just show that, you know, it creates a mess. It creates a confusion. Because, it, you know, otherwise you are enjoying, let's say, a party. And now, you know, it creates all this. So, one understands that the consequences of it is ultimately that my joy is diminished. This is the minimum reason. Because he has gone to party not to... You know, he's gone to enjoy and then teach him a way that while you run and walk, you must become a little more conscious because otherwise you will end up bumping again things. So learn to control speed. But the other way, which is very beautiful, which I have found almost always it works, just appeal to the child's heart. 
I have seen it works wonders. Just sit with the child in a quiet moment. And then say peace. And then say peace in the child and say, look, feel it in your heart and say, what was it? Don't keep on pressing the point. So tell me, what was it? What does your heart say? No, stay quiet and say. Allow him time. And the child knows that this is something he shouldn't have done. And he knows it not by a mental way that I shouldn't have done because of this or because of that. Simply because it's a spirit of disorder which entered. He will not use this language. It's not bad or wrong because of the value and the value can be, after all the child was playing, maybe curious and it fell down. No fault of the child. But it is about becoming conscious. So we can become conscious in two ways. One is by appealing to the higher intellect. So this should be done. As children enter 10, 11, they, we should discuss everything with them so that they learn to appeal everything to the higher intellect. This is an exercise which parents must engage it in. Instead of don't do, do. Then what they learn is, okay, I'll not do in front of you. But instead of that, talk to a child. Today you watched this movie. Okay, how was it? Okay, you read this book. So how was it? Talk about the characters. And then they will slowly come up and a lot of education will be transmitted through that process. Something happens, an event. Talk to them about that event. So why did it happen? And so develop this higher reason. Higher reason by that I mean a reason which can observe one's nature and work upon it. Normally our reason is all outward, practical, mathematics, physics. No. There is a higher reason which can understand one's own nature. Make them a student of their own nature and parents have to engage in this. As schools, teachers don't have time or whatever the orientation to do it. But for parents, the whole all the stakes are involved. And the second is, teach the child to be quiet and look into his heart. And if the child says, uh, no, I am right, don't, don't press the point. When he is quiet and alone, he will understand that this is something which I ought not have done. So just leave it with that. And then understand it will take time. Be very patient. I often say that, you know, one has to be patient even with a small little gadget. We are dealing with human nature. The most complex machinery which has developed. So one has to have infinite patience when we deal with human beings. So this is what I would suggest, these two or three things. And yes, one has to also see that why his energies are becoming chaotic. So if these energies of a child are becoming so chaotic, uh, sometimes I mean, one odd incidence is different, but I am talking about when they keep on doing this uh, because there is a disconnect in the body and the vital. The real reason is that, that you know, when the vital is all excited, it has no control over the body and so it tends to stumble. So channelize the vital. So one of the best ways is martial arts. So he'll put them in two uh, advantages. One is channelizing the energies of the vital through physical activities. They will learn to become conscious of their body. They will learn to, you know, how to deal with the body consciously. Uh, they will have a control over the body. And of course, he'll be put them in good stead in self-defense also. So channelize these energies of the vital. It's a disconnect, sometimes abundant vital energy. The body is unable to control it. So there is a disconnect between the two. So any exercise... Uh, sports, games, it will help to reconnect and train the body to uh, really obey the vital impulsion in the right way and the mental uh, will. Yeah? Yes. yes, please. Yes, go ahead, please. Yes. Yes. So the question is about... Um, you know, when people hurt you and you carry that hurt and it leads to anger, so what is to be done about it? So what has happened is there are two ways we create images. As I was saying, with human beings, the anger is also a response to self-image. Unlike the animal where the uh, bodily self is all, with human beings, with us, we create images. And it's that image which is hurt. It's not me, but the image. So... One way is that we discover the image which can never be hurt at all. In fact, maybe nobody will even know that this is your image. And that image is the true self. Nothing can reach there. No anger, nothing. If it tries to reach there, it will be abolished. But more importantly, minimum that we should do is that we should not try our image to be based on... Our image should not be based on what people think or what people react to us. We should discover, our image should be completely independent of others. 
So what happens is when you give too much importance to human beings, to human opinions, then this is what happens. So we should be, we should know that right from childhood it should be clear. But unfortunately, right from childhood the training is like that. What is your performance? What does the teacher think? What does society think? So the result of all this society thinks, society thinks is that we start building an image based purely on how others think about us. But truly speaking, it's better if this collapses because then we have a chance of rediscovering who we truly are. So whenever people come with this hurt because, you know, in a relationship, so I tell them the same thing. I said, why are you giving so much importance to somebody's opinion? You love, you are attached now, but you think that your image has to be maintained and nurtured and nourished by someone. So this happens in a relationship and it continues so far as you uh, praise and I get praise. But it is not the true way. Discover your own true self-image. And then when you have that, then nothing can touch. Remind yourself that I am the divine in disguise. I am a miniature divinity. Who can touch that image? People don't even know what that means. And when they know it, they will never, never, ever touch it. So don't allow your self-image to be formed by others. It's almost like telling someone, I want to live in a house, but you make my house. And when the person has made the house, then you say, this is not right, that is not right. Why did you decide to let others make a house for you? You want to live in the house. Unless you trust completely. But who is the person you should trust completely is the divine. Nobody has the perfect knowledge and understanding that he will make a house completely based on your needs. He will not. So our image should not be made according to human opinions except the views of those who are identified with the divine. But most of these people who are identified with the divine will not do like this, that hurt you or anything like that, your image. They will always bring out the beautiful side of your nature. That is the way divinity operates. Divinity will never say, oh you are so bad, horrible a person. Maybe for a moment it will feel. But it will stay quiet. And then when the moment is passed away, it will bring out once again the beauty of the beautiful side of your nature. That's how the mother operated. And that's how divinity operates. So let the divine build your image or at least have your own self-image rather than the world and people's opinion decide your image. So this would be my suggestion for this question. Thank you.